Acts chapter 13, let's pray. Jesus, have your way. We wanna be sitting underneath the teaching and the authority of your word, not the word of mankind, not my word, Lord, it's yours. And so we submit ourselves to it, which you teach us. Have your way, Jesus, in your church. This is your place. We surrender and, and we yield to you. Pray that you would be magnified by the teaching of your word. Have your way, Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're gonna be going through a lot of scripture today, verses 13 through 52. Lord willing. Last week we were in Second uh, Timothy chapter four uh, because it was outdoor service, but it was a precursor to this. It was preach the word. Be ready, right? Stand where you should be. Be ready in season and out of season. And then he said to convince or convict, like expose where there's been some wrongdoing, convince and then rebuke, and then exhort, come alongside somebody and, and help them. Well, how do you do it? With all long suffering, that was a, a word that means it's going to be really hard. You just need to stick to it and don't quit. A constancy and a steadfastness. And so convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And then it said with teaching. And he says, Paul goes on. He says, for the time will come. And in my Bible, I've written, it's here. And the time is here when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't continue in it. Um, but because of their own desires, they're gonna have itching ears. They're gonna heap up for themselves teachers and they're gonna turn aside from the truth and they're gonna turn to fables and myths and a bunch of weird stuff. And so we're in those days, right? We're, we're there, we see it before us today. And, and so the encouragement, what was Paul's encouragement, man? It was just preach the word. That's the logos, preach Jesus, simple stuff, nothing fancy. Today, we're gonna see that very same thing happen. That was a precursor or like a, um, a little bit of a preamble to this section in Acts chapter 13 and verse 13, we're gonna see and read Paul's very first recorded message that he ever preached. It's important to note though, that he would have preached Jesus long before this. We're probably 14-ish years removed from when Paul was born again there um, on the road to Damascus. When Jesus came and said, stop fighting, Paul, you just need to surrender. Stop kicking against it. Stop trying to make all this stuff make sense. The scriptures have said it. Here I am, the risen savior. I'm appearing to you, follow me. And he says, what must I do, Lord? What am I supposed to do, right? Perfect response to when Jesus says, hey, I need you. <clears throat> so probably 14 years renewed, but in Acts chapter nine, we read immediately, Paul started preaching the gospel. It's an encouragement. Did you, need, did you need to go to Bible college to preach the gospel? The answer is no, he didn't. Did he have to get his master's degree or his, sim nope, nothing. What did he need? To be born again and filled with the spirit. That's the requirement. Go preach the gospel. Um, nothing wrong with being educated as we've talked about. We have a Bible college here. We do a, we have a four-year university here on campus. And so, yeah, like we recognize this is important, but none of it's necessary. Isn't that great? You can just be you following Jesus, filled with his spirit, get after it. And so Paul's first message here, we'll read 13 through 23. If you want to, Bailey, throw that map up there. That way they have something to look at while I'm reading <clears throat> to give you an idea on where they're going. Verse 13 says, now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia and John departing from them returned to Jerusalem. 
But when they had departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and, when the, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and day and they sat down. And after reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent men to them and they said, hey, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation or encouragement for the people, say on. Well, then Paul stood up and motioning with his hands, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, we'll pause there for a second. Why did they go where they went? Now you might remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about why did they go to Cyprus? If you remember, there's, there's multiple ways that God can speak. Can God give you a dream about a Macedonian man saying, hey, come over here to Macedonia. Well, that's what happened to Paul later on in the book of Acts. He'll be sitting there in Troas and he'll be stepping foot into like what would be modern day Europe. <clears throat> well, how did he know to do that? God gave him a dream. That's pretty cool. I shared a testimony of how God gave me what I call a vision, I suppose, a, a, a desire and a heart for a ministry called Island Gospel Ministry before we went to St. Kitts years and years ago. <clears throat> yes, God can speak that way. And he oftentimes does. As we sit in the quietness of our own lives, like listening and ministering and letting him speak to us through his word and so on, confirming things. But we also talked about how sometimes God just like allows us to make decisions and use maybe what you would maybe just call common sense. And we see that in here potentially with Cyprus. Why did they go to Cyprus? Well, Barnabas was from Cyprus. And so we thought, oh, maybe Barnabas and Paul were like, where should we go? And they thought, I don't know, let's go to Cyprus. If you think about it, Barnabas already has relationships there. They can immediately connect with people. But also Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? Let's go to the island in the Mediterranean. It's like we went to St. Kitts. It's a little island in the Caribbean. There are worse places to go, to be called to be missionaries. And so, yes, we'll do it. Or whatever you say, we'll go enjoy that beach and hang out. And so they go to Cyprus, nothing fancy about it. I just want to hopefully in many ways demystify some of these things that we see in scripture that it's not difficult. It's not hard. Are there times that require you to sit at the feet of Jesus for weeks and months to help discern his will? Yes, absolutely. Are there times where your cousins live in Cyprus and you should go hang out with your family and share the gospel? Yeah, it can be that simple as well. So I just want to draw some boundaries there and then God can fill in the blank on where you might be in your life here, interestingly enough, you could ask the question again, why did Paul and Barnabas go to this particular area? They ended up in Antioch and Poseidon. Interestingly enough, Bailey, go to that next picture. This is a stone that was found in Antioch and Poseidon. And you might be able to tell, I don't read Greek just so that we're all clear, but um, well, this might be Latin actually. It, you see at the very top where it says, uh, P-A-V, whatever that is, it's, it's Paul. And underneath it, what do you see? Sergius. And so this is a stone of a guy named Sergius Paulus, who you guys met in Acts chapter 13. Um, he owned land in Antioch of Poseidia. It's believed that he had an estate there and the simplicity of like, well, where do we go? It's likely that after Sergius Paulus starts following Christ, he was the governor of Cyprus, He's like, hey, I got some family up in Antioch. You guys could go there and share the gospel with them. Paul and Barnabas is like, sounds good to me. And so they head on up to Antioch of Poseidon because they would have had an instant connection. And that's so important as a missionary 
is to have in that instant community where you can say, hey, we just hung out with Sergius Paulus. Oh, that's my uncle. He's so cool. I love him. How's he doing? And like, hey, he's doing real good now. Let me tell you why. Dude's following Christ. And then he gets, you know what I mean? Like you just get to start to share and you have an instant connection. So somewhat of the idea, I'm just presenting it for you guys to consider and think about. It might be that case or it might be that they just, that's what the cheapest fare was. Like, well, let's go to the Antichrist because it's really cheap. That could be the case too. But we'll see starting in verse 16, Paul's gonna preach a message. He's gonna begin. This is the first time we see Paul preaching. We have it recorded at least. And what I'm gonna do is just outline just five really simple principles in preaching Jesus, nothing complicated at all. But as we read through the very end of 23, we'll, we'll highlight some of these things. So allow me to read to 23. We'll go through some of those and we'll continue on. So then Paul stood up, like we said, motioning with his hands, men of Israel and those of you who fear God, the, pe- the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwell as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm and he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. Isn't that a hilarious way of putting it? And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. And after that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And then afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, and he served a reign for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king to whom, he, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all of my will. And then he goes on to say, from this man's seed, this is in verse 23, from this man's seed, according to the promise of God, which he just mentioned, God raised up for this, for Israel as savior and it's Jesus. Throughout this, and as it continues on, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit in this outline as far as principles for preaching Jesus. Uh, we'll, we'll skip ahead, but the first thing that you might notice is that Paul immediately finds, and the first principle is just finding common ground. Where Paul goes to a synagogue and he finds common ground with these Jews and he's able to do what? He's able to just share the history of Israel with them. They would have immediately enjoyed the storytelling of what that was. If you go back to Acts chapter seven, uh, Stephen is sharing the history of Israel to all these people trying to get them to connect the dots that God had been foretelling Jesus was coming, the Messiah, and he has come. And Paul's just trying to do the exact same thing. They're having a history lesson. They're being connected through who they are, who they are as Israelites, trying to get their, their attention perked. And Paul, having been a Pharisee, having sat at the feet of Gamaliel, had some um, rapport among these people. They would have thought this guy is a beast. He's a, he's a Pharisee, all these things. These people were not Sadducees. How do you know that? Well, they were reading the law of the prophets. Sadducees didn't believe in the prophets as far as it being scripture. And so he's among people that have like-mindedness. And so he starts right there and then finding common ground. Where do you agree? And how do you use that to navigate a spiritual conversation to where you can share the Lord with them? Is there a skill involved in that? Maybe, is there, but there's definitely, if there's not skill, there's definitely intention. Does that make sense? You don't have to be a genius to do it, but you do have to be intentional, I think, and prayerful and aware about what's going on in a person's life, asking good questions. 
things like that. So here's Paul just chatting, sharing these things, finding common ground. What I'm gonna do is um, kind of juxtapose these two. In Acts chapter three, you, re- you hear Peter's very first message that he preached. And there's tremendous similarity between Peter's message and Paul's message in Acts chapter 13. And so on the, on the screen, you'll find Acts chapter three, verse 13, for example, is where Peter kind of bridges and begins using common ground. And then in Acts chapter 13, 16 through 22, you'll see the part where Paul does it. So I'll just have those there. If, you, if you're interested in studying it further, there's notes there for it. The next thing you see uh, is speak truth, where they say some things that are pretty harsh, like you killed the Prince of Life, you crucified him. There's a particular amount of convicting that goes on in this way, where a person recognizes their need for a savior. And that is important, that a person needs to know that they need saved to begin with that the love of God would be poured out into their life. They recognize that that God has come for me, even though I have sinned. This is an important aspect of the gospel. He's come to seek and save the lost, to save us from our sins. And unless a person understands and knows that they're in sin and that the consequences of that is hell, eternal separation from God, why would they care to seek after a savior? And so speaking truth is so important in the midst of this. We'll see in a moment, we'll get to grace and mercy, but speak truth. You can see there on the screen where those are found. The third one is speak Jesus. At some point in time, we'll get to this in a moment, we'll elaborate further. At some point in time, you have to share Jesus. So speak Jesus. The fourth one would be speak grace and mercy. Jesus and grace go together. (laughs) Like that's where it came from. John explains that to us. That the law, we have it, but grace and mercy, grace and truth comes through Jesus. It's where we find it. It's where it's been hidden, that treasure of grace. It's in Christ. And so make sure that that is a message that we speak to them. Common ground, speak truth, speak Jesus, speak grace and mercy. And then the fifth one is offer a chance to respond. That a person has a moment to consider, what should I do with this? Even this morning, so we're going through preaching the gospel. There might be someone in here who doesn't know Christ. Like, what are you going to do about it? (laughs) Like an opportunity to respond in your own heart before the Lord. What is it that you're going to do? What will you do with Jesus? Considering him, who he is in the claims. The essence of the gospel, and I'm going to boil it down for you guys, is found in Peter's sermon. It's found in Paul's sermon. It's found all throughout the book of Acts. Anytime you hear the gospel being preached, this is what it is a part of. This is what it is a part of. And here's something else I want to point out. Don't have a lot of time to elaborate, but this is early on. In Acts chapter three, that's like literally the birth of the church. 50 days or so after Jesus was crucified, Peter is preaching Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's it. Simple stuff from the very beginning. The essence of the gospel is the cross, the empty tomb. In Acts chapter 3, 14 and 15, Peter shares that. And in Acts chapter 13, 28, 30, 33, Paul shares it. Very specifically though, just in case you're wondering, if you haven't um, put this together, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4 give you it gives you the most concise version of the gospel. If you ever want to know what it is, or if you ever have to go to it in reference, this is a really good place to go to in scripture. 
a good verse to memorize. I'll read it for you. It says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. That means the good news, which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word, which I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. This is it, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. He was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. There's the most concise version of the gospel you can get from Paul's own words from the mouth, the inspiration of the spirit. If you ever wonder what the gospel is, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one through four, there you go. If anybody ever asks you, what is the gospel? Boom, you open up to it. You can start right there and let people know this is the gospel. Each one of these can be explained though, right? You can go in and talk, well, why did he have to die for my sins? What about the blood and so on? We'll get to that later on. But there's explanations. That's where teaching comes in, right? So you can preach the message of the gospel and then you can teach and help someone understand the need or the necessity of it. In verse 23, we finally see that Paul puts a name to the prophecies. He puts a name to all those scriptures, it's Jesus. Eventually, and at some point in time, Jesus has to be named. There is no other name given among men by which anyone can be saved. The greatest thing that you could ever do is to introduce someone to Jesus. That's the most loving, that is the kindest thing you could ever do for a person is introduce him. Is it offensive? You better believe it is. Absolutely. People have to come face to face with their own sin, their own way of desire to live and to sit on the throne of their own life. But here we have the King of Kings knocking and saying, no, let me in. Just open the door. I'll come in right there before you. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. I wanted to connect something else for you guys. In verse 22, you'll notice, okay, sorry, let me slow down. In verse 22 of Acts chapter 13, he has David there. Remember, he's talking to Jewish people. So these things matter. That's the common ground there. He's talking to Jewish people. David would have mattered in their minds. And so he connects it then. Jesus in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, refers to himself as the root and offspring of David. Paul's putting these connections together, trying to get them to realize this is important stuff. Jesus is the fulfillment of what you guys have been waiting for forever. He's the fulfillment of this promise. Do something about it. Acts 4.12, I already mentioned it. There's no other name. And then finally, Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. You confess with your mouth. You agree that he is indeed the Lord. And he said, and if you believe in your heart, if you actually believe, you like really believe in your innermost person that he raised him from the dead, that Jesus lives now, he dies no more. He's conquered death. It says you'll be saved. It's simple stuff. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart and you'll be saved. This is the message that Paul's rolling through. But again, at some point, Jesus must be preached. Look at verse 24. He goes on then and he says, and John, that would be John the Baptist, had first preached before his coming, before Jesus is coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Meaning this, that John the Baptist had prepared the hearts of the people saying, get your hearts ready because the Messiah is coming. That was John's purpose and, and role. He said, uh, when he was finished his course, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not him. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those 
among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, even though they're read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. What he said is this, that the rulers in Jerusalem, they went ahead and condemned Jesus, exactly how scripture said what happened, but they totally missed the whole thing. They missed Jesus in the midst of all of it. They missed that the Messiah was, was right there before them. And somehow in God's incredible plan, all of these things converge and they crucified him. And notice verse 28, and though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Notice the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. When they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down the tree and laid him in a tomb. Death, burial, uh, resurrection. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days by those who came up with him from Galilee into Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers, that thing that you guys have been waiting for. Hey, they're in Antioch of Poseidon. They're in a synagogue. And Paul's like, you guys, listen, this is what you've been waiting for. The Messiah has come. It's Jesus. He's telling them this. God has promised, verse 33, God has promised this for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus. Just like it's written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. What Paul's doing here is he's teaching scripture. He's helping these Jews and proselytes understand what scripture was teaching. He's connecting them to the fact that the Bible has prophesied about Jesus, the Messiah, and he came. Put your faith in him. He'll go into a little bit deeper. We see though the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus mentioned over and over again. That's the message. Okay, verse 34. And he raised him, again, he mentioned the risen Christ from the dead and no more to return to corruption. He has thus spoken. I will give you sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. Now Paul's gonna teach this and help him understand it. He's like, guys, notice that David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, he fell asleep. That's a euphemism for he died. And then he was buried with his father. Then he saw corruption, meaning that his body decomposed. His body was there. It wasn't re resurrected. He didn't come out from among the dead. David died and decomposed. But he goes on in verse 37, but he whom God raised up, he saw no corruption. His body is up. It's no longer in the tomb. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Now here's where it gets really interesting. I don't know if it makes sense to you guys or where you're at. It doesn't matter because check it out. This would have been insane for the people in Antioch of Poseidon to hear. And I'll explain why. And he says in verse 39, and by him, we're still talking about Jesus here. Everybody who believes is justified from all things. I don't know if you guys underline stuff in your Bible but that's important. From which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come true or come upon you. Behold, you despisers marvel and perish for I work a work in your day, which no one will be able to believe though one were to declare it to you. Look at verse 39. 
Uh, well, and in verse 38, sorry. Therefore, let it be known to you. So he's getting ready to apply this message in a very radical way. That through Jesus Christ, this man who was preached to you, forgiveness of sins is, a, is available. Okay, if you're a Jew, how would you have had your sins forgiven? For the last 5,000 years or 3,000 years, whatever it would have been, for the last whatever from the law, the only way I could be saved or the only way I could experience atonement, the only way I could experience freedom from sin was to take an animal to a priest and have them kill the animal. I would lay my hand on it. I would, would kind of um, move my sins, so to speak, onto that animal. Blood was spilled. Leviticus says without the spilling or the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. It's the only way a person can find atonement was through the law. They would go and they would offer these sacrifices. Well, Paul comes on the scene and is like, you guys don't need to travel to Jerusalem anymore. Something even greater has happened. You remember Jesus in the, in the, um, the woman at the well, he says, there's coming a time where you're gonna worship neither on this mountain nor in the one in Jerusalem, man, but you're gonna worship me in spirit and in truth. It's no longer necessary for there to be a geological location where you worship because I'll come and live within you. My presence will come and be in you, not in Jerusalem. It'll be in you. How cool is that? That's radical stuff, just so you're aware. So here these Jews are hearing this. Wait a second. We don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore. They're probably thinking they can save money now or whatever the situation might be. I don't know. But it's like Jesus Christ is the one. So Paul's trying to get them to come to the conclusion I need to put my faith in Jesus. He's risen from the dead and he's the one that God has sent to make atonement or forgiveness for sins. Paul's like, yeah, that's it. So he's sharing this message to them. By him, everyone who believes, notice guys, just check it out. We're used to these things. There's no just believing in Judaism. There's works. <laughs> you better do this and do that. And even then you're still in trouble. <laughs> now, now God was gracious. I'm not gonna go into all of it, but you guys, it was a works thing. You know, the Pharisees straining out gnats and so on. You can only walk so far on a Sabbath day, all the things they had to do. But here you have a message so glorious that if you believe, what does it say? You're justified from the things, all the things which you could not be justified by. The law of Moses, like that's a radical message. You're declared free. No longer are you culpable. No longer are you guilty for all that stupid stuff you did. You're free from it. He's forgiven you and that sin, he's taken it, he's tossed it into the ocean. It's gone as far as east is from the west. So as he cast your sins away, that's a good message. He's sharing that. They're hearing this for the first time. Imagine that, you're, that they're gonna compute this stuff. You have to consider it. Remember the Bereans, Paul was sharing the same message and they're like, ah, okay. They're going and searching the scriptures. Is this really true? Is it possible that I just have to believe and the blood of Jesus so effectually cleanses me from all unrighteousness that I'll be made right in the sight of God that when I die, I don't have to be separated eternally, but I can live with him. Yep. That's the gospel, guys. That's why it's grace. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, not works. That's a brand new message for these people. A message I hope is not like boring to you. One that I hope fills you up and makes you so thankful that you have a savior who loves you so desperately. He's crazy about you. 
He loves you. So he shares this radical message, but notice in in verse 40 and 41, he's like, and just so you know, it's like a chance to respond. Just so you're aware, the Bible also prophesied that those who hear the message of the gospel are gonna think it's too crazy to believe. And you're warned, don't put your faith in this. Don't think this is so crazy that you won't believe it. Like it's, you're, you're being prophesied about, believe this stuff. In verse 42, we see the aftermath of what happens with this message. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words would be preached to them the next Sabbath. And when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and the devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the entire city came together to hear the word of God. Now that's pretty cool stuff, right? You would call that a revival. You would call that an enlightenment where God opens up the eyes of the people and they are encountered. They're encountering the gospel for the first time. Do you remember the weight that you lived in? And perhaps some of you are in it now, that weight of sin, hiding your sin, hoping no one finds out, but there's a God who sees all and knows all and still loves you still calls you to himself. I remember when I got saved. I remember right where I was and right what I was doing. And I remember the next day I was free. I had been born again. I was a new creation, you guys. That's my testimony. That's the testimony of anybody in here who's followed Christ, whether it was from the pit or from the preacher's kid or whatever, man, like you have been saved. And these people are hearing it for the first time and experiencing a freedom they've never known before. No longer are they shackled to the law. No longer are they enslaved to sin, but they've been given the spirit of God to help them walk and live in this newness of life. This is so fun. This is radical stuff. They were, why would they beg? Because there's life here. These are still people like in verse 42, people who are hurt and broken, people who are desperate for truth. They needed it desperately then. And guess what? If ever there were a time, it's today where people are desperate and broken and they need this message right here that there's a God who loves them and who came and died for their sins. And if they would yet just believe, they would be born again, newness of life, new creation. God would come and dwell within them. This is the fruit of the gospel. These people were desperate then, people are desperate now. But we pray, God, would you bring favor on us like you did here, that a whole city would come? It'd be fun if we got up out of church and like all of Lawrence was sitting out there like, can we come in and hear the gospel? That'd be pretty sweet, wouldn't it? What's awesome though, is that there is a city of Lawrence and Fishers and other places that are desperate. They might not be here begging it, but let me tell you something, they're hurting. And you guys, they might not be standing here, but they're standing somewhere and you guys go and do it. Get after it. Okay, 45 through the rest of it. But when this is kind of the bad news here, the resistance, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. You'll notice at this point in time that any hope of reasonable dialogue was gone and continued efforts were going to be like fruitless. It's a waste of time. They, they began saying things that made no sense and no longer were you able to reason with them. 
It just didn't matter. That time in that window had come and gone. And so Paul and Barnabas, they're like, you know what? We're moving on. There's somebody else who wants to hear it. Let's go to them. And they said it like this. It was necessary that we should come to you first, but you've rejected it and you've judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. This is bold speaking, by the way. So look at this. Behold, we're going to turn to the Gentiles because God has commanded us. I've set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. So when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. They glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. You see that also happened there in verse uh, 43. People started following Christ. Verse 49, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. Can I point out just for a moment? It wasn't Paul and Barnabas doing it. They were in Antioch of Poseidia. You've got the church doing this work, which is the whole point. The church then goes and does the work. Paul encourages them, plants a church there at Antioch, and then the church spreads and goes and does all that work. You see this in Acts chapter, I think it's like 18 or 19 or somewhere around there, where uh, in all of Macedonia and Achaia, the word of the Lord went forth and something like 2 million people heard the gospel in two years. It's an incredible work of the, uh, uh, listen, it's an incredible work of the church. It's an incredible work of the spirit of God in and through the church. Just people hanging out, doing their everyday life, sharing the gospel, simple stuff, nothing crazy. And you'll see that the word of God spread, but the Jews, they stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city. They raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they kicked them out from their region. But Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And here you see the kind of the fruit of, I don't know if you guys agree or not, I don't know, but there, there is that, that area of life where you can maybe ask, is there anything more fulfilling than being able to obediently just share the gospel to somebody and, and deliver truth like this, whether it's on the street or whether it's your neighbor, whether it's at work, uh, those of you who do this, like it's fulfilling. There is joy there. And the spirit of God gives you joy and brings you to a place where, man, this is, this is actually pretty fun. I can enjoy this. And so my encouragement for you guys is to con consider this. I know that we've been kind of rolling through this quite a bit, like um, preach the gospel, so on and so forth. Like it's just what we were, we've been in scripture, but I'm gonna encourage you guys. This is, this is fun. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And you guys have an opportunity to do that very same thing today as we go on. So consider it, Lord, would you do this work in us? Fill us with your Holy Spirit. <clears throat> We have communion today, which is exciting. We're gonna roll through that. But I wanted to encourage you guys with this really quick. I thought, I thought it would be important and good. I think God put it on my heart like Friday morning at 3 a.m. Um, to, to address and to share, how do, you, how do you guys as a church and how do we handle the month of June? June can be a difficult, discouraging month, all right? Now, before levels of anxiety rise, let me explain it this way, okay? Uh, there's uh, a way we can walk through this month that is loving, that is kind, and that reaches out and has a message like this to people who need it desperately. That there's um, absolutely, oh, could you say, there's absolutely a, a very strong battle that we fight as Christians where we're trying to hold fast to truth 
and we're trying to love people really well because they're worthy of it. And they deserve to be loved and taken care of, whether you're LGBTQ or whether you're this or that, it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, But there is absolutely an attempt to keep you guys quiet. Just keep your mouth shut. Did you you guys happen to put that next thing on there, the the little scale thing? I just wanna teach you really fast. Did you get it, Brett? Don't worry about it, it's fine. It's like a, it's a picture from a playbook of people of like on a particular agenda that wants to shift you guys and cause you to be uh, quiet. Like just don't say anything, don't speak up because guess what happens? It gets rough and people come against you and like you, you hear, feel this, beat, this heat. I just wanna encourage you guys, like God has given us a spirit of power, of love, don't forget of love and of a sound mind. And like, this is an incredible opportunity as difficult as it might be to like live under the constant seeing of billboards and signs and walking into stores of like, man, a celebration of what is sin. You guys, it's such a great opportunity to celebrate the gospel. Like there's hope for everybody. And so you are discouraged perhaps. And there's this place where it's like just hard. And I wanna encourage you guys to stick with it. That if ever there's a time or if ever there's a month to just boldly proclaim the gospel and to double down on the beauty and truth of scripture, guess what? It's probably this month where you can show people love. The greatest thing you guys could ever do is introduce people to Jesus. The greatest thing that could ever happen is that we wanna be at a spot where we yield to him. We offer ourselves to Jesus as a church, right? Like, Lord, here we are. Um, that we do something as empowered by the Holy Spirit. We cannot, I just want you guys to know, it's okay to be offended when people want to celebrate sin. So it's okay to be offended. It's okay to think this month stinks. Like I'm sick of it already. It's hard, but listen, check it out. Bear with me for a second. But lashing out with truth is not all right. In this regard, bear with me the power and love of the gospel has to be proclaimed. And we get to do it empowered by the spirit. You guys have an incredible opportunity to share Jesus. I know I've mentioned this, I'm repeating myself purposefully. The answer to all of these things is Jesus and don't be afraid of it. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to be upset. You don't have to celebrate something that's deeply offensive and goes against God's design and God's heart. You can't celebrate it, but you can love people and you can share good news of Jesus with people, right? You have that opportunity and ability to. Only Jesus can heal. Only Jesus can offer the hope and satisfaction that we long for that anybody does, whether it's you or others his death in our place to pay for our sins and raising from the dead. Like, man, that's what's up. New creation. You guys know this, celebrate it, share it, get after it. If you're faced with these things, because let me tell you something, there's people in our church that wrestle through LGBTQ things. We have people in our church because why? Because we're a church of people. That's why we're people, we're struggling. We're wrestling through things. We live in a broken world. And so there's people here struggling through it now. And we want this place to be a place where you can find truth, where you experience the sweet freedom of the gospel with our space. So if you're hungry and pursuing truth and you need Jesus, welcome. <laughs> our doors are wide open. Come on. We're here. We want this to be a place. And this church is a place, man, I'm telling you, you guys are so special and you love people really well. And my encouragement is keep it up. 
Don't be discouraged. Don't be quiet. Don't stop saying stuff. Get out there and be bold. It's okay to be bold. Just don't be an idiot. And don't be a jerk. I'm being serious. Like, just don't be a jerk. You can walk through this stuff. Do you have a bold message to proclaim? Yes. Really quick. God defines everything. Okay. Let's just lay down some real quick ground rules. God defines everything. Who a man is, who a woman is. God gets to define that. There is no in-between, just so we're clear and we're aware, there's no in-between. God said it, hey, I can't, you can argue with him, <laughs> okay? You get to hide behind God. He's a really good guardian. God defines that. God defines what marriage is, you guys. We let him define those things. Man tries to, but God does it. Jesus loves you and he calls you out of your sin. That's some important truth. We gotta continue to do this. But listen, for example, our goal is not to make people straight. That's not our goal. Our goal is to introduce people to Jesus and let him work that stuff out. Can we preach truth to people? Yeah, if they have questions. Yes, my goodness, you guys, of course we have scripture right here. We've got plenty of scriptures. First Corinthians chapter six, nine and 10, you guys are aware of it, talking about how all the different sins, like these things are sin and you'll go to hell if you live in these things. But in verse 11, it says this, you guys know what verse 11 says? And such were some of you, but we've been freed. We've been redeemed, right? And so we have that thing. Our highest possible good is to introduce a person to Jesus. We get to represent him to the world that is lost and broken. And I just want you to know that that's your job. Represent him. Let him be the one. There is a time, and this is the time probably to be courageous, to be bold, like, it's okay to speak out and it's definitely okay to disagree and to let your disagreement be known. My encouragement for you guys is this, people will hate you. People will ban you. My son reached out on Strava, sharing the gospel and explaining what homosexuality is and different things. And they permanently banned him from Strava for preaching the gospel. <clears throat> Gone, you know, just like that. So yeah, it's gonna happen. There is a cost to be paid, you know, and it's just a Strava app. You know, it's a running thing. It's what he loves, but it's part of it. We're fighting it because it's ridiculous, but it's, it happens. You will be hated and you will be misunderstood. Your heart is to love people, but you will be misunderstood because the world doesn't see love that way. You have to affirm that's equal with love. It's not how it is with, with God. He loves me, but he hates my sin. And, and that, like, that's how, what we try to explain, right? Bear that. I want to encourage you with it. Let's take communion and just sit before the Lord and be thankful for the gospel that we get to share with people. Hopefully you guys are encouraged. And this, listen, if you have any questions about where we stand as a church, come and talk to me, send me an email, say something, find a pastor and ask. Uh, we have no problem explaining it to you. It's traditional biblical sexual ethics, so it's not hard. But um, if you have questions or you're struggling with these things, listen, this is your spot. This is your home, wrestle and struggle. Lord Jesus, help us navigate these things. Um, we trust you with it. We need help. We wanna be used by you to help people come to know you and to be set free from whatever they might be in bondage to. The world is lying. And so God, we wanna speak truth. We ask that you'd help us to do it in love and with a grace in a way that draws people to you. Jesus, be exalted. As we even sang this morning, be magnified in and through us. But we must be filled with your spirit. We have to be breathed upon. Lord Jesus, would you do that work? Send your spirit upon us and enable us to walk boldly 
Um, the rest of this time, but also in July and August and September and October, November, December, and the rest of the year, and then forever else, but we need you, Father. And so we just ask for your help. Bless this time of communion as we just get to sit and remember that you have done it all. Thank you so much, Jesus. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen.